VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. This is a podcast from The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Welcome to The Game, the podcast that mans up after an easy midweek trip to socialist Europe and delivers at the weekend, too. Well, on a Monday, anyway. And joining me this week, it's Stuart Robson, Tom Dart, and Matt Dickinson. Later on, we'll be talking uh, some more Sir Alex Ferguson. Yes, hopefully we can put a new spin on him. But first, Newcastle United and Everton. Got to start with this, Dicko. Is it time to take Newcastle seriously? They're still unbeaten. The last time uh, uh, that happened was uh, some uh, 16 years ago in the original Kevin Keegan era. Um, They're up there. Uh, Can you ask me again in about three weeks' time once they've played at United City and Chelsea? Um, Look, we don't want to sort of prick the balloon um, unnecessarily, um, but the fact is that they've got to face those three um, imminently, and that will sort of give us a far more realistic assessment of where they're at. I mean, you know, there's so much to praise. There's a lot to praise about them, and, you know, from the top. I mean, Pardew, uh, I've found that whole reaction to Hewton sacking and the the introduction of Pardew completely overblown. Okay, bit harsh on Hewton, but I always thought Pardew would be an upgrade um, over Hewton. Yeah, he, he built a great, he built a good team at Reading. He built a, a good team at, at West Ham. Um, West Ham fans don't like him; they think he's horrible. Well, he built some pretty good. You know, I, to be honest, there's, there's there are bits of Pardew. He's, he's always had a reputation for being, shall we say, a little um, pleased with himself, um, and he, I don't think I don't think he'd actually deny it. Um, but his teams um, play some decent football. Um, uh, certainly, when they were sort of on the upswing, and he's, he's managed to do that again at Newcastle. Well, uh, uh, Stuart, let's, let's talk about Pardew here because, I mean, I, I was kind of winding Dicko up there a little bit. He, he does, you know, uh, you look at his results, and I know a lot of West Ham fans really have a problem with him, but ultimately, I mean, he's, he's done relatively well. I, given the complete paucity of candidates for of English candidates for the England job, I almost find it surprising that he never gets mentioned. Um, I, I, are you buying this 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 line that Dicko's spinning that you know Pardew's an upgrade over Hutton? Or is it just that we all like Hutton better because he's a very nice man? Uh, well, I think I said when Pardew took over on this program, on the game, that uh, he was a bit of a con man, Alan Pardew. That's the word I u- the words I used. And a confidence trickster. Yeah, and I, I saw a lot of his teams play at West Ham, and contrary to what uh, Matt was saying, they didn't play good football. He 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 said they played good football and they played the right way. They played very much uh, a direct style. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I thought they were unattractive to watch. What I do like about Pardew, as opposed to many managers in the Premier League, he is a coach. He will go out on the training field. He will take sessions. He has got a game plan. He has got a vision. He has got a philosophy. I don't like his manner at times. I don't like the fact that when things are going well, he promotes himself beyond recognition. He hasn't quite done that at Newcastle because I think he's learned his lesson from the West Ham days. And I wasn't particularly impressed with his teams at Reading. Uh, they should have got promotion. They spent more money than anybody else when they were coming up through the divisions. Uh, and I, I always 
always go back to the time when they were playing in the uh, the Division One playoff final at the Millennium Stadium when they were winning the game by two goals to one, and he, him, and his assistant, the the lovable Martin Allen, were lording it up. They knew they thought they were going to come up. They were uh, they were almost um, uh, orchestrating the crowd, and oh, it was it was horrible to watch. And Walsall got back into the game and won three two. And I've never been so pleased at a football game than I was that day. I think I mean I agree with that. I mean the, the personal stuff, you know, which can't can't be ignored because I think it's possibly been part of his um, his downfall as well. I mean he, he he does get carried away, and it's interesting seeing some of the quotes um, in the last couple of weeks. We were talking about sort of you know people can't live with us, um, the, the football we're playing, and, and 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 basically sort of talking about themselves as sort of you know short just of Barcelona. Um, and I hope he's not you know getting going to let it run away with him uh, again because. Because you know he's doing it, he's 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 doing a decent job there. Um, as as Stuart says, there's a lot to. I mean, it, he's improving individuals, which is a, always a, a, a key mm. test. I mean, someone like Colaccini, I've always thought has had a fantastic talent. Remember seeing him in Argentina years ago and in, um, in the under twenties, and you thought, wow, you know, he was the best player in that team at the time. And you thought this guy's going to be a, a star. Uh, lost his way a bit, but you know, Pardew's got him uh, playing with greater discipline than we've seen in his time at Newcastle, and um, you know, th- those are key tests of a good coach. Um, but let's hope he sticks to the coaching and um, doesn't allow the ego to get in the way again. I think he's learned his lesson. A year ago, when he came into the situation, he was an extremely unpopular choice. He was Mike Ashley's pet. You know, he got the job by hanging around in casinos with Mike Ashley. Uh, the story was at the time, pretty much, uh, and he. Re- placed uh, someone who'd done a fantastic job so it was all there for Alan Pardew to fail to go up in a you know in flames and to to be uh, the object of hatred from the terraces but he's conducted himself with surprising dignity mm. considering his past uh, very PR savvy this time yep. he hasn't gone too far and he's producing a team that's uh, overachieving hugely largely due to him because mm. he is coaching them so well and they are a team of fairly mediocre players who've got fantastic spirit which is something Pardew is always good at and he is uh, as Dicko said individually improving them so I think you've you've got to give him a huge amount of credit Um, I wouldn't have him for England because I think he'd it'd be too much having the whiff of Steve McLaren to have someone who's doing doing pretty well uh, an English up and coming manager who's doing pretty well and then after one or two good seasons gets promoted and then is there to be shot at I think that's still too early for him for us to be talking about him at England but they've got a fairly average team they've got some good players some ordinary players you know when, when you have players like Ryan Taylor scoring a fantastic goal that he did uh, on Saturday that's uh, you've got to take your hat off but can they do that for the rest of the season it's still very early we've had a quarter of the season gone you've got to give Pardew credit because they are making good defensive decisions uh, I've seen Taylor play at, at left back and he has, has often made the wrong decisions until this season Colaccini has made some poor decisions when to step up when to drop off Stephen Taylor is another one that I used to think played a good game he played up to the crowd he played up to the to the press but he made too many poor decisions and now they're making the right decision and that must come down to the work they're doing in, on the training field not many sides are defending better than they have been in the last three or four years Newcastle are one of those teams that obviously are doing enough work on the training field to have to make the right decisions defensively Dicko uh, all that said this particular weekend they were perhaps um, a little bit lucky shall we say I mean I, I thought Everton completely got jobbed in this game and you know, maybe luck does even itself out at the end of the season but right now you would probably argue that um, they, they owe Lady Luck something right? 
Well, they've just been on one of those roles, haven't they, where, you know, sort of the, the confidence is high, and when, when, that, when that is the case, good things often happen, don't they? So, you know, um, I think that's, I, I agree with you equally, it's a sign of, of confidence, but, you know, and, and sort of to go back to where we started, where will that confidence be? in a month's time after some after some you know big tough games and that's you know I say I think we'll all be we'll all be uh, we'll all be wiser a lot wiser um, about them um, once they've played these bigger games this time last year we were talking about Blackpool in the European places pretty much weren't we and mm. look what happened it's still early but yeah, we can't fool what they've done so far ok but is that confidence that leads I mean that was an obvious handball like Danny Gosling um, and you well, know, I, I saw Newcastle the first game of the season at home to Arsenal, and they had no invention. They had no credit. They were against uh, 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 ten men of Arsenal, and they never looked as though they wanted to, to win the game. They actually started keeping the ball at the back when it was nil-nil against ten men in the last twenty minutes. So uh, they've made a massive improvement since then. Um, on the other hand, I just wonder about sort of the size of their squad too, because um, I've been championing Kabay and Teote all season long, but mm. when, as happened for more than an hour, you've got Danny Guthrie and, uh, and Gosling in there. In, in the middle of the park it's obviously not quite the same thing but um, let's talk some Everton because we you know we looked at it from, from afar this is a situation where you know you have enormous debts and everything's kind of mopey and you know you, you've got this bizarre situation with uh, with Ken Wright um, Dicko why does nobody want to invest in Everton uh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I guess I guess there's the fact that Liverpool, you know, of all, if you're looking at to, to, to buy a club, you've just got the historic, um, you know, uh, grandeur of Liverpool, and the fact that they've obviously, you know, with new owners themselves, you know, going to be ambitious to uh, certainly, com- you know, commercially, particularly, they're going to try and make some inroads. Um, and if you're looking at Everton, I think they're going to be in that shadow, uh, unless you throw some money at it, and that's, you know. To, to find a buyer who's going to come in and buy the second club in the city and throw money at it is going to be problematic. Um, so I imagine, you know, in terms of trying to find a buyer, um, that's the, the top and bottom line. Uh, I mean, I feel sorry for Moyes as much as you can feel sorry for any guy who's got a you know job in football earning seven figures. Um, just because I've always thought he's, uh, I've always liked him, I've, 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 you know, uh, and, and I've always thought that he's, I've well, thought for many years that he's deserved sort of the next step up, which I guess would talking a sort of Tottenham um, basically and um, I wonder when that's going to happen he's not the guy who sort of puts himself out there as, as much as some managers he doesn't sort of play the agent's game uh, as well as some others and um, I hope he's not suffering for that um, but sorry I, I look at this and I admittedly Moyes is one of the people I have a weak spot for um, I look at this team and these are good players though. I mean I you know you've got you've got the kids obviously with Barkley and uh, and Rodwell, um, Seamus Coleman, who I think mm. you know is, is probably punches above his weight. Um, the, the, the the Tim Howard's <laughs> goalkeeper. I mean, the, the yeah, okay. So Arteta's gone, but you know you still have Arteta didn't have a great season last year. Exactly, didn't have a great season. So I'm running late. This is something where maybe you could you could build them. I mean, football wise, should they be higher than where they are on the table? The problem they have is they haven't really got a striker that's been consistent. Well, I why hasn't th- he signed a striker? Well, I mean, that, that, well, that's well, the well, problem. Because yeah, he has struck well Ursi and and Valios and stuff. But you kind of sense that those guys were sort of signed for, for like shooting practice and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and Sahar's never been fully fit to, 
to justify the sort of top-class player that he could have been when he was at Fulham and, and when he first went to Manchester United. But I think in, in Fellaini, they have one of the best players in, in world football in midfield. I think he can do every aspect of, of, of midfield play. I've seen him time and time again and I, I, I would go anywhere to watch Fellaini play. He's not just a big player. And, uh, he, you know, obviously he wasn't playing at the weekend. And Cahill can get forward and get goals in, uh, when he gets into the box, either with his feet or his head. So those two players, you can build a side around. I don't think Jaggy Elka is as good as people give him credit for. That's that's one of the areas that I think they are weak. You know, I've always said Jaggy Elka is not an England cast centre-half and I'm not sure he's a top Premier League player. So that's an area that I would always always worry for Everton. They've got some good, they have got some, you know, some, some good players and, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do rise up the table. But I mean, the bottom line is that their, their uh, wages are, you know, the top, I mean, Arteta was on 75 grand a week and that was regarded at Everton as sort of going do lally. Um, it was a, a sort of one-off um, uh, stretch that they made and to be honest, um, and had some regrets about that. And when he, um, while they would have happily have kept him, um, you know, I think there was there were people within the club who thought, well, yeah, we did go too far with that contract. So um, why did why did Pienaar go? Because I think he's been a massive loss. And was it because they just couldn't afford to keep him, or or, or they wanted the money for him? Well, again, um, refer to the uh, agents before. I mean, there was a lot of. Um, I mean, they were trying to obviously get into Chelsea and to uh, Tottenham, who were going to pay him an awful lot more money. Um, and what was, where was he down to on his contract? Was he down to the last? Yeah, his contract yeah, was winding down. Exactly. Down. So you know, and he had you know he had two bigger clubs willing to pay him an awful lot more money. So I mean, yeah, their top wages. You know, you're talking around the sort of fifty thousand a week, and that's um, that's a heck of a long way short of. Um, uh, of, of, of many clubs in the Premiership, and he's made such a wonderful contribution to Spurs as well. So, you know, just just the player that they needed. Dico, you get the very final word on this, and it's a basic ethical question: uh, If Bill Kenwright hasn't lost any money on Everton uh, in in the years that he's been in charge, and I personally don't believe he has, uh, does he have any reason to stand in the way of a sale? If he hasn't lost any, um, well, some say. I mean, he's, he's entitled to sort of ask for a. Well, I mean, fair price, I guess, is, um, yeah. Well, he's, I mean, he's entitled to it, but I'm saying it's from the fans' perspective. I mean, do you well, buy I this whole argument that problem with, my it's not problem like with, he's I mean, buying and selling a car or, 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 or an sell- item of clothing? It's a football club. The buying and selling of a club, I, I think that's, that, that just comes down to the market. I mean, taking money out of a club, I mean, football clubs were not invented to make people rich. And while, obviously, the real world we live in now, you know, as Cronky said the other week, um, uh, oh, you know, what's wrong with making money out of football? Well, you know, in, a, in an ideal world, it, it, you know, it is wrong. Um, that's not what clubs were, were, were invented for, and they've become this business. But uh, So I think taking money out on a sort of season-by-season basis, I do have an ethical problem with, but if you're buying and selling, um, I think that's entirely different. That comes down to just, this, you know, you, you, you've, you've, you've bought it, and um, you, you know, I don't think he's standing in the way of development, because at the moment, there isn't a credible buyer. As he said himself, he's met various people who are sort of you know, variously been sort of working out of offices above taxi companies in you know, um, city centres and all kinds of weird and wonderful uh, fakes and, um, uh, and spivs. But he hasn't met anyone who's a credible buyer of Everton. From the somewhat insolvent Bill Kenwright to uh, the rather more solvent uh, Tony Fernandez and Sheikh Mansour, QPR and uh, Manchester City. Now, 
I want to actually start with QPR because I gave them a hard time after they won um, after, after they, they won that game against Chelsea where it was 11 v 9 and I thought that it's kind of ridiculous you're at home you have the lead you should be able to keep the ball and put on a better performance um, however I thought against City they were I mean they were really really good um, I, I thought they moved the ball well I thought they were they were organized um you know, we can argue about whether City deserved the three points. I mean, they probably did, but uh, by the same token, um, I thought on the day, Warnock got everything right. Um, and I look at this, and okay, Barton's technically okay and good, and he's played well, and, and Farland's all right, but I don't see all this ability in the team. Is, is, this, is this a one-off performance? Is this Warnock getting everybody pulled together and playing well? Uh, am, I go, am I gushing a little bit too much over QPR's performance? Well, I've, I've seen them three or four times this season. They've had mixed games. I've seen them play some quite good football and they've passed it through midfield. They've got a bit of pace with Wright Phillips running with the ball. But the one key player for me yesterday was Helgerson. Helgerson is very, very good in the air and people don't give him credit. He isn't that big, but he wins balls in the air. And if you keep playing the ball, that's what caused Chelsea all the problems in that first half uh, a couple of weeks ago. And that's what caused Man City all the problems. When you get the ball into front airs and your centre forward keeps flicking them on, keeps winning balls in the air and it allows your midfield to play higher up the field and it allows other players to run beyond you, that causes problems. And Helgerson was absolutely outstanding when the ball was in the air uh, against Chelsea for the first half and also against Man City. And that troubled Man City um, Dicko our good friend Tor Christian Carlson signed Helgeson for, for Watford way back in the day I mean I, he's still around in fine pro whatever but you know he's about 100 years old if I'm not mistaken and he's essentially a lower division lifer is that a credit to Warnock do you take a player like that who you know is I guess what we used to call an honest pro and can make him so effective yeah, I think it is. I think. I mean, Warnock's. Um, I, you know, I think your your criticism previously was of the Chelsea game was probably justified. I don't think. Um, um, but but you know, he's, as, as we were saying with Pardew, I mean, I guess it comes down to you know, your work with individual players, and there is enough. We're seeing enough from Warnock to see that um, you know he's uh, again he's a, he's a he's a coach. He spends a lot of hours on the, the coaching training ground, um, and I think he's. Um, I mean, the signings have looked pretty good um, so far. Barton, as you say, right, Phillips, and I think they're, they're going to reinvest a bit in January as well. So I, I can see, um, I can see QPR, QPR staying up. Now they've got sensible ownership and shrewd guys um, around them. I mean, I, I didn't give them any hope um, until the takeover because I, I don't know if you know that there's this new documentary coming out which exposes the madness of um, Briatore. Um, and his cohorts, um, which is going to be... That's next. it. Mention the Italian guy. Don't mention Bernie Eccleston. That's that's good. That's good. Um, what's the, no, well, he's, he, he's, Bernie is shrewd enough that he manages to uh, not figure at all. I mean, you, you know, whatever you think of him, uh, he stayed away from the place um, and um, made sure he didn't get on camera, uh, as, as opposed to Briatore and Palladini, who are going to be exposed... Um, uh, as nutters, um, but uh, you know, so the club, the club has got a lot of things in in the right places from the top top down, and that um, you know, when you're fighting for your life in the Premiership, um, that's going to make a difference. Tom, um, you look at this, and you look at, at, at Tony Fernandez, and he comes in, he's got the enthusiasm, the money, and he and Warnock seem to be on the same shade, on the same page. In terms of prospects, if you're QPR, given the size of the ground and given the, the future, um, is this as good as it gets, mid-table? 
Yeah, I think so. They've uh, had to spend a lot of money in in August to to make the team worthy of uh, staying in the Premier League. Joe Barton, Sean Wright Phillips. Uh, and the other signings will not come cheap and that you can only uh, pay those kind of wages and sign those kind of players if you are in the Premier League year in, year out because of the TV money because a ground with the, which holds 18,000 uh, just isn't going to cut it and where's the potential given how close they are to so many other Premier League clubs in London and how difficult it is going to be for them to build a new ground. Yeah, Chelsea are casting around for a new stadium site in West London. Uh, QPR, there's, uh, maybe they could build, build across the road but it'd be a long hard process uh, and the fan base has never really been very big even in their even in their heyday and Venables. so I think uh, kind of mid-table in the Premier League which is what they look to be now is, is going to be as good as it gets and it's very hard to see Tony Fernandez uh, making uh, making much money from QPR you know even if they become the biggest club in most popular club in Malaysia well hang on a second I'm just going to put on my Stan Kroenke super hat here and my Stan, my Stan Kroenke mustache and um, I have an idea why doesn't Tony Fernandez buy Fulham from uh, um, from Mohamed Al-Fayed and they merge the two into a West London super club and that opens up a spot for a new Premier League franchise uh, somewhere in the US in New York City perhaps um, and then uh, um, they could just kind of fly over and play games there and that would be a great way to get into the US market and we could all profit then we eliminate eliminate relegation and you know call it the KPL no yeah go for it yeah as you're listening to me Daisy Apple's iPhone disassembly robot is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts that's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods thanks Daisy there's more to iPhone yeah no no one's gonna mind you know <laughs> be serious it's Fulham and QPR you're talking yeah, about right exactly. wouldn't they be happy to, yeah. to, to be a super club no yeah right. just, I think they'd love it just a thought um, <laughs> <laughs> moving on to City uh there's this old trope that we where we like to trot out that um, you know you uh, great teams that win when they play badly and so on. Did, did City play badly and win? And ergo, are they a great team? Well, they didn't play. They didn't defend particularly well in that first half. That was the problem. We, we talked about it. Helgeson one balls in the air. Other players were running off and Right, Phillips was going past, but they didn't look without company. They didn't look as though they were organised at the back as as they have been. They didn't defend well enough in midfield, and I thought they were complacent in front areas. They didn't press the ball. We, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna be a good defensive side, that's Barcelona everybody has to defend all around the field you can't be just a player that wants to attack or a player that just wants to defend these days you have to be an all round player and too many of City's players in the first half didn't do the defensive side of the job in the front areas and without company they didn't look so secure at the back and Micah Richards has one of his days where he has it probably every fourth fifth week where he doesn't read danger and people kept on getting behind him people beat him in the air and he made poor decisions City were really taken by surprise by how mm. good QPR were because yeah. they dropped Terrap or left him out due to illness whichever you prefer uh, just went 4-4-2 crosses everywhere part of the heart of the defence and in, huge intensity and I don't know whether you've been to QPR this season I've been on I was, two at, the, or three I was at the game yeah it is a hostile atmosphere now the atmosphere is, is as, as hostile as anywhere you'll go in the country at the moment yeah so as much as we uh, say that City were lacking Vincent Company looked a bit vulnerable you've of course got to give QPR credit because that kind of intensity and that kind of atmosphere at Loftus Road isn't something that City will have to deal with too often and I think uh, once they uh, kind of dealt with that and accepted 
accepted it and realised they were in for a battle. They did, uh, they did get the job done in the end. So uh, I think credit to both sides for what happened. Dico, neither uh, Stuart nor Tom has mentioned Savage yet. They just talked about uh, defensive problems. Um, are they being too nice or am I being too harsh and actually singling him out and pointing out that he had an absolute nightmare? Uh, well, he, 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 he certainly um, had a pretty poor game. I think it was just Tom, Tom described him as green, I think, was it, in the um, match report this morning? <laughs> yeah. And I think that, that, that's about right. I mean, that's how, that's how he looked. Um, you know, company has become one of the, the key players for City. I mean, I think I always thought he, was, he had talent, but now he's they moved him around a bit, didn't they, between defence and midfield? But I think you know he was always best going to be best employed as a centre half, um, and he's you know become the critical player for them in the back line. So you know he was missed, and and Savage, you know, well he, he needs um, he's, he's going to take some time to bed in on that performance. Should he go by? Should uh, should they go buy another central defender in January? Given that Colatore has his issues and maybe Savage isn't ready. Well, they've got. I'm sure they've got some money somewhere. Um, or should I, they? I, I, I mean, they have money, but I mean, if he, you know, if they name you to replace Gary Cook, Dicko, which is always a possibility, would you go out and and, and sign somebody? Um, two, 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 two. Well, there are 25 players on the list. I'd have to look at um, who are their the full list of. Um, Dicko, they could play uh, Micah Richards at centre half. When uh, and then you got to play Zabers at right back. But I think we've got to remember that Vidic, when he first came over, played really poorly for Manchester United for the first two or three matches. And then he's now their top defender. And Savage could do the same for Man City. That is true. I think, I think we give Savage another, another shot. Now, unless you've been uh, hiding under a rock with no internet access, um, you've probably... Um you're probably well aware that uh, it's been 25 years of Sir Alex Ferguson uh, at Old Trafford uh, this weekend. And you've also probably read all the stuff and you might be even a little bit sick of celebrating the man. I think certainly Sir Alex Ferguson is probably a little bit sick of, of, uh, of talking about this. He doesn't like to do anniversaries or celebrations, but I think we all owe it uh, to him a little bit. So I just want to have, I just like you all to think about a memory, an anecdote a vignette involving Sir Alex, um, and uh, this will be our little tribute to the great man. Uh, Stuart, why don't we begin with you? Uh, well, mine goes back to a few years ago, and I was asked by Steve McLaren to go and watch. Uh, he'd just gone to Derby as first-team coach. They'd lost their first two games. They were playing at Wolves, and he asked me to go and look at their defensive line and see what I thought about it. And I was sitting in the director's lounge before the game with my, uh, I think he was about five years old, my son at the time, and playing for Wolves was Sir Alex Ferguson's son. And obviously Sir Alex Ferguson had come to watch his son and he walked into the director's lounge and you could see everybody in there was dying to talk to Alex Ferguson. He ignored all of them and came to me sitting down in the corner, minding my own business with my son. Now, did he do this because you've always been his pet and he's known you since you were a child? I'd never spoken to him before. And he came over, he sat down, he, he, he spoke to my son, he spoke to me and, and knew all about my career. He knew all about uh, the times I'd played for Coventry because I was at Coventry when he was the manager of Manchester United, how I'd caused him, his team's problems or stopped Paul Ince playing, he said, in this thing. And he was charming, he was friendly, he was knowledgeable and I couldn't have spent uh, a, a more, a, a more content 
waited 20 minutes and 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 he spoke to my son and, and it, it was just magnificent it was a really it was a pleasure to speak to him and when you see this gruff figure you know uh, which everybody says that he can be that way i didn't see that i never spoken to him since that was my 20 minutes with sir alex ferguson and i and i'll always uh, recall it as a, as a happy moment okay, and then how old is your son now my son is now 22 so this is like 17 years ago yeah. that, that, that we're talking yeah. and you've not spoken to him before since I, know. That's, I think that that <laughs> that certainly tells you something about uh, about Sir Alex uh, Dicko um, well, I guess it's sort of related. I mean, I was lucky enough to work, um, well, I was going to say lucky enough to, to work for the Daily Express in Manchester. I was lucky enough to work in Manchester. I'm not sure it was lucky to work for the Daily Express. But, um, oi, oi, oi. No <laughs> need to put down the competition, okay? <laughs> um, but I spent yeah, basically four years being you know, the Manchester patch man, which obviously meant an awful lot um, of, uh, of of working with um, with Fergie. And, and, I mean, I could tell a zillion stories of the, 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 you know, the hairdryers and so on. My, my first ever press conference down there turned up with a, the guy from the Daily Star gave me a lift and as we walked in his paper had done something to upset Fergie and, and Fergie looked up we were slightly late and looked up and just screamed all this you effing whatever went on for about felt like an age and then threw the guy out and I was just sort of left standing there like a lemon thinking blimey um, welcome, welcome welcome, to life in Manchester but um, I saw all sides of him um, including um, as Stuart's just described the, the, the generous side and, and I think that is my shame and, and why I've criticised Ferguson at times for um, for his um, contempt for us is done to a large degree out of disappointment because you know say working out there for four years I had private lunches with him um, I had all kinds of off the record access um, to him as, as we could in those days pre-internet pre-sky um, when we used to have his home phone number and I learned a lot from him you know the great managers Arsene Wenger um, and, and Fergie and their ilk you love to sitting down and talk with them because you learn with every sentence that, that, that they speak and you learn about the game you learn about human character you learn, you learn about what drives great men and he is a you know a great man of football and that's that's my sort of sort of great disappointment of the of the way the relationship between him and, and sort of us has gone is because you know we're deprived of that time um to hang around a great man Again, that kind of mirrors my experience a little bit, uh, although I have to say he never yelled at me. Uh, Tom, um, I think you're the youngest one here and probably can't remember Manchester United without Sir Alex at the helm. No, no, I can't. I can't. Uh, and I've got very, very few. Tom is 22 years old, by the way. No, I'm, I'm 17, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and uh, I've got very few memories of him personally because uh, every time I go to Old Trafford to watch a game, uh, after the match, uh, all the journalists crowd around a TV and uh, listen to him talk to MUTV because he won't come and talk to us. So I suppose my prevailing Fergie memory is uh, last season when United won the title at Ewood Park, uh, he did actually deign to, to talk to the likes of us uh, for a good 15, 10 15 minutes, I would say, after the match. He actually turned up to a post-match press conference and fulfilled his mandatory duties uh, which all other managers do uh, after United had won the title Kent guaranteeing him uh, a load of positive press that was uh, very, some bitterness very big of Tom, him don't you no, I just on behalf of other journalists who have, have been uh, have been treated poorly uh, it's a shame that Fergie uh, appears to bear a grudge to the entire profession 
uh, having been, as Dicko said, disappointed uh, on odd occasions, and uh, uh, for such a such a great manager to behave uh, at times in such a petty way is is a shame. But I suppose uh, it's all part of his driven character, which has led him to be so successful, so tough, uh, and. Uh, the longevity is, is all part of that it's all part of his makeup I suppose I think the 25 I mean one thing I've sort of concluded from you know and we've all had to think about it a bit more on this 25 year anniversary is that is that you know the, the achievements will drown out all this the, the sort of carping that um, um, that we, that we you know, that we'd make about the, uh, you know, the lack of access and how he's treated us and the, the bullying I mean I think it, you know that is all valid and it all forms a picture of the man um, uh, and the, the legend of Fergie but it will be drowned out by the achievements the longevity um, and you know the you know I mean we've, there's, there's been all this for 25 years imagine what it's going to be like you know when he retires um, and then when he um, slip, slips away I mean it's you know it, a bit of a bit of um, stick about he didn't turn up for a press conference is going to look um, pretty limp in those circumstances even though say it's right that we pointed out and it's right that we you know use it to form a picture of the, the, the rounded human being um, I want to throw one other thing in there uh, which is uh, this is sort of an, an aside I mean I'm not going to pretend we don't have enough time to discuss Sir Alex properly beyond. this is why I had you give those little anecdotes but one thing which fascinates me is people debate about who's going to replace Sir Alex and you can never hope to replace him and it's the worst job coming in for Sir Alex now correct me if I'm wrong but as I recall like when other legends have have sort of left in the past is it a rule that the guy who comes after them always stinks? I mean, that well, guy look, Paisley did all right. And, um, and Fagan. Like, <laughs> and Fagan, yeah. yeah. I mean... But I, the problem was that then the, the one that, that, that started it to, to, to get it wrong at Liverpool was Graham Souness, wasn't he? Because they were just on the wane and he tried to change a whole load of things and it didn't quite work for right, him. So maybe in Souness's case, that didn't quite work out, but... It's not a rule, is it? Is it? Uh, well, the other person that, um, uh, after Sir Matt Busby, when he had great success, the next manager that came in, he's written an article recently saying that Maz- Matt Busby stayed on the board and caused him all sorts of problems. So I think that's the that one, th- one thing that Manchester United don't want, is Sir Alex Ferguson to stay on the board. And everybody's saying, well, Sir Alex would have done it this way. And Alex Ferguson having a, a chat with the, with the board saying, well, the manager's not quite doing it how he should be doing it. And that's the same when Arsene Wenger leaves Arsenal. You, uh, I think the next manager coming in... As long as Arsene Wenger clears off and gets out the way, it won't be a problem. If Arsene Wenger stays on the board and stays high up, Arsenal's next manager will have a problem. I think the difference with Man United is that they will, I mean, I suspect that they will go A-list. Um, you know, I think Fergie hanging around might be more of a problem if yeah, they went with a David Moyes, but I suspect the list will come down to Mourinho versus Guardiola. Um, now, obviously, it might depend on their, their own career moves at the time, but, you know, they, they will look for the top at the top of the top and um, yeah, that will make the transition easier you know, if they were going to go for a more de- de- developmental choice then that would be a problem but I, I don't mean they will I think they'll just go straight to the top of the tree Tom? Yeah, I think uh, I think Dicko's right. Although uh, Tom, maybe you can explain to me also why Mourinho with all due respect to Manchester United yeah. why Mourinho or Pep Guardiola would want to move to Manchester United with the Glazers, uh, possibly new owners, David Gill, who I'm assuming will go when Fergie goes. Why, why that would be attractive? 
Yeah, and, and why would United necessarily want Mourinho, given he is a such a controversy magnet uh, and uh, such a dominant personality, and he would uh, not be so amenable to the Glazers and, and their distance and limited funding as, as Fergie clearly has been. It's Maybe George Mendes will buy the club. <laughs> uh, so uh, the thing is, we don't know when this when this debate will become a reality because we, you know, it could be another twenty five years of Fergie for a winner. It could be it could be one year. It could be another five years. Uh, it's it's impossible to say what the landscape of football and the situation at United and the available managers will be, given how people go in and out of fashion so quickly. Uh, I think. It, it will be right, the right idea is to get a strong character in from the outside to replace Fergie because uh, uh, whichever manager comes in, do you try and do things just as Fergie has done? Do you try and ape all Fergie's methods? In which case, the players might see you as lacking in character, originality, uh, imagination, and, and independence. Or do you try and change the winning formula and transform things? In which case, the players may turn against that, and people say, "Why? Why are you trying to meddle with what's worked?" So, whichever one, it has to be someone from outside who who is a bit of a clean slate. Interesting thoughts. I get a feeling we're going to be debating this for a very, very long time, particularly because, as Tom says, we have no idea when the Fergie era will end. Okay, since I know this is the moment you've all been waiting for, how about some quick hits? Arsenal roll over West Brom with a 3-0 win and are now just three points out of the Champions League. Um, Stuart, are you back on the Arsene Wenger bandwagon? And with Fermanland back, who's your choice to partner him? Well, Koscielny I'll, or Mertesacker? I'll go with the second question. I think Koscielny's going to play at the moment because Mertesacker is in the side. They bought him because he's good in the air. And too many goals have gone in when Mertesacker's been playing at bat and it's been Mertesacker that's beaten. Am I with Arsene Wenger Arsene Wenger does a lot of things right I still don't think he works hard enough at the defensive side of the game and there's still problems at Arsenal defensively top four finish yes ah. some of us of course pick Arsenal to finish third this year Manchester United defeats Sunderland 1-0 and Wayne Rooney once again is in midfield uh, Dicko what's the rationale behind this and uh, do you see this going on all season uh, well, the rationale, I guess, is necessity. I mean, it, uh, the, the centre of United's midfield it has, is not quite right, has not been quite right for a while, and Rooney, um, you know, is a good enough footballer that he can slot in anywhere. Um, he can pass like Paul Scholes. Um, some would say he tackles a bit like him as well, but uh, <laughs> it, I, I see it as something that's been sort of... It's a, bit, it's a bit of a fudge because Fergie's not quite sure of his central midfield. Um, will it last? Uh, but No. It won't. It won't last. Well, yeah, I'm sure Fletcher and Carrick, who got a new deal last year, and Cleverly and Park and Giggs and Phil Jones, I'm sure, you know, the, the, that whole panoply of people. And Anderson, who we always forget about, I'm sure that whole uh, um, myriad people who could be playing in central midfield are delighted at the fact there's even more competition now. Liverpool are held by Swansea at Anfield. Uh, Tom, um, they accuse us of talking way too much about Liverpool on this podcast, so let's talk Swans instead. Um, what's the secret to a performance like the one at the weekend? I know it's nil-nil, but Swansea's uh, attacking is fantastic in a division where attackers are generally getting the better defenders this season and we're seeing so many open games. Swansea play quick, uh, direct football with pacey wingers who really push forward. Uh, it's a no-fear approach, uh, a bit like we saw with Blackpool last year, but uh, but even faster and uh, and uh, with better wingers. Uh, their goals haven't quite reflected their attacking uh, potential. Mad props to Brendan Rodgers. 
Chelsea have to work their rear ends off to get the three points at Ewood Park, and Villers-Bosch changes it up again with Mata Maluda behind uh, Sturridge, and it doesn't quite work. Stuart, what does AVB need to get right? Well, I still think they'll score goals whatever formation they play up front. I think the problem's in defence. They still they hold a high line. They don't make de- good decisions at the moment. When you look at John Terry, he's squeezing up when he should be dropping off. Alex was squeezing up when he should be dropping off. And I'm not sure what's happened to Ivanovic. He looks as though he just doesn't understand the game at the moment. Chelsea have to defend better all around the pitch, whether it be pressing high up the field or dropping off to see danger. They're not doing it at the moment, and that's what Vyash Boas has got to sort out. By the way, this is the new Ivanovic, the Danny Alves Ivanovic. Witness that sweet cross with the outside of his right boot. England have another prestige friendly this time against Spain coming up. Um, Dicko, uh, would you rather tell me three things you hope to learn from this game or do you want to engage in the stupid, 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 stupid um, polemic over the poppy? Uh, yeah, the poppy, well, that's just a no-brainer, isn't it? Um, the What do I want to learn from this game? I want to learn how many goals Spain can score. Can it be double figures? No, um, only joking. I want to l- see a bit of Sturridge and a bit of Welbeck because I think uh, I'm, I'm terrified by our lack of forward options. I see Darren Bent. Um, this is a bit cruel, but I see him in a big game at a championship eight yards out, whacking it straight over the crossbar. And um, those two young lads, I think we need to um, we need to see come through. Spurs win at Fulham, and if they win their game in hand, they'd be third, a single point behind Manchester United. Tom, are Spurs for real? Or were they actually a bit lucky at the cottage, given that at one point there were about three penalties on a single incident, which uh, uh, Peter Walton completely failed to spot? Uh, both they are for real and they were a bit lucky at, at the cottage they've uh, got a great squad an excellent manager there's no reason why they shouldn't compete for the top four the only reservation is the defence is so dependent on Ledley King who is as we all know pretty fragile so as long as he can play uh, most of the games uh, without the distractions of the Europa League because Redknapp is rotating his squad so much in that tournament it's not really having an effect why can't they continue? Gab, here's one for you. Barcelona are held by Atletico Bilbao, two all, and in fact were a goal down in the dying minutes. Should Pep Guardiola be worried? No, not really, but I think what Bilbao showed us is that if you're a team coached by uh, Bielsa and you go out there all guns blazing um, and you play that type of possession football, uh, then you can create problems for Barcelona. That said, it was in a completely insane downpour with where the pitch was basically like a sponge, and I think that affected the game as well. And ultimately, you know what, despite what all those idiots said about Spain being a two-man league, blah, 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 you know, it really isn't. There are some very good sides there, and Bilbao with people like Munyain and Javi Martinez and uh, Ander Herrera and of course Llorente and so on this is a very very good side and they have a great manager that's all we've got time for this week but you can go to www.thetimes.co.uk you'll find all your news your gossip your analysis you can also follow us on Twitter you can participate in our web chats so many ways for you to get involved and stay involved and also on this occasion I want to say a warm goodbye to Tom Dart who uh, is uh, is leaving us uh, hopefully he'll stay in touch he's uh, making a lifestyle choice um, and is moving across the pond to the great great state of Texas. Um, Tom, it's been a privilege working with you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, Tom may not be back next week, but we certainly will. Till next time. Bye-bye.
station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.